The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Where is she? Corn Pop was a bad dude. The, <laughs> the Conservative Connection. Come on, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Conservative Connection. I have uh, my first interview here and a very special guest, a man who's known me since I was 14 years old, um, Pastor Rich. Um, glad to have you here. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Good to be with you. Yeah, yeah exciting. So, we're, we're going to be talking today about religion. We're going to be talking about politics. We're going to be talking about how to improve our lives and our personal lives and in our family lives. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. So uh, Pastor Rich, uh, how long have you been a pastor? Well, I've been here at Living Waters for 30 years. I was a youth pastor in Chicago for four years. And then I was the director of Chicago Teen Challenge, a ministry that worked with young men with life-controlling habits, I was the director for 12 years, and then came here uh, 30 years ago. You've you've had a you've had a really interesting career, and I, I had many of my friends actually give me several notes and questions to ask you. Um, uh, you're actually affectionately known by Josh as the based pastor. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with that. <laughs> no, that I'm term. not. <laughs> uh, based is, is a term. It, it tends to mean uh, based in reality oh, or, or yeah. you're not afraid to say things that are true, even if they're controversial. Oh, yes. Truth and, is always controversial. <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it lies like... can be consistent, but, but truth is always controversial. Why do you think that is? Well, because everybody has their own brand of truth. And as you may or may not know, truth, uh, there's different kinds of truth. Uh, there's uh, analytical truth, which is like mathematics. One and one is two, always has been, always will be. It's eternal. It's unchanging. Uh, although uh, now people are trying to even refute analytical truth. But then there's something called synthetic truth. Synthetic truth uh, deals in a realm of life, things that happen. And uh, the first kind are the reproducible, so that if something happens and we can reproduce it, then scientific inquiry gets involved. We analyze the science, the physics, what made this happen, a lightning struck the tree, what was it, negative charges. Yeah. We can do instruments and we can try to evaluate it. The second kind of synthetic truth is irreproducible, something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't reproduce that. Right. So now, how do we analyze that? Do we try to go to the scientific or the historical? In case of the resurrection, we look to judicial review, like a, a, a jury trial. Right. And a jury trial, you bring in forensics, uh, tangible evidence. We have empty tomb. We have uh, uh, the Shroud of Turin. We have other things that may be uh, solid forensic evidence. And then we have witnesses. We have eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, as many as 500 at one time saw Jesus resurrected. So uh, that's kind of the long and short of truth. Truth is analytical truth, and then there's synthetic truth. And most of what we deal with is synthetic truth. And we allow science or judicial review to evaluate what is true and what is not true. And if you don't know what's true, we got problems, which right, is probably exactly. a problem. So one of the questions that I had, and, and this was an interesting Bible question that I always had as a kid, but why does Pilate say, 
What is truth? Uh, it's very interesting yeah. because the conversation takes place, I believe, in John 18, where Jesus is brought before him, and he. it says in the text that he knew they were doing this because of jealousy. Right. He knew that he had done nothing wrong, and even though Pilate was a scoundrel, he was uh, not a nice guy, he was a brutal uh, leader, but he recognized this was a plant. They were setting him up, and he didn't want to be set up. And so he's looking for ways to... Uh, get Jesus off. And he said, so you're a king. He said, yeah, that's why I came. And he said, um, you know, if anyone listens to me, then they are my followers. And uh, I, because I proclaim the truth. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Right. And uh, he said, what is truth? And then he turns and walks out. Boy, it would have been interesting if he would have just paused to listen because Jesus right. may have told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do, do you think it was like something he said under his breath? Like, what is truth? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And, and as a politician, <laughs> we all know in yeah. politics, uh, that's where truth gets real sketchy. Uh, everything is an opinion. Mm -hmm. And whoever has, you know, might makes right. Whoever has the weight of authority makes, makes what's right and what's true. So we're living in a world today where... Uh, politics and media have so merged that they have now uh, identified what is true and what is not true, and we're living with the consequences of it. Now we don't even know what gender is. We, we, yeah. we, uh, we have a woman for uh, nominee for Supreme Court justice and cannot give you a basic definition as a woman, and yet that is why she was picked, because he wanted a black woman. Isn't that what he said? But therefore, so. she's not even saying she's a woman. She it, can't even identify that. So it tells you the, the <laughs> absurdity that we're listening to. It is absolutely amazing to me that you can be picked specifically because you're a woman and be a woman and still not know what a woman that, is. That's, that's my point exactly. It's it's uh, it's. So when, when they can cause you to believe absurdities, it won't be long before they will ask you to commit atrocities. Yeah. And so th th this is a question that we did have be because you're a pastor. We did have a few people come in and they wanted to know uh, different ways that they could improve their spiritual life. Uh, one of the questions I had was, how can you read the Bible and pray more effectively? Well, that's a big topic. Yeah. Uh, I will try to just hit the mountaintops. Uh, first of all, you want to know God. And one of the ways we know God is through his word, because that is immutable. And we believe God is immutable. He gives us the word of God. And the word tells us about his character and his nature. Uh, of the gods of the other religions, uh, they are basically capricious. The God of Islam can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants. He can change the rules midstream. Where a God who has all power and all might has chosen to confine himself to certain parameters so that we can understand him. He can do anything. He is sovereign and all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing. And yet he chooses to abide within certain limits called the scriptures. And so we can trust them because he shows consistency in the way that he deals with people. So knowing the word of God help us to know his character. When you meet someone, um, just take boy meets girl or girl meets boy, they, they sit down and talk and, hey, tell me about yourself. And where'd you grow up in? What school did you go to? You got siblings? Tell me about your parents. And, and you, what do you like? What movies do you like? What music do you like? And we get to know the person. Yeah. And in the same way, we get to know God through his word. Now their prayer is a, uh, another topic of deep discussion. Uh, prayer is not twisting God's arm to give me what I want, although that is being proclaimed in uh, a lot of churches today. 
that we just learn the right formula. If I say just the right words, I say them just the right way and put a nice spiritual taint to them, I can convince God uh, to give me what I want. It's like the little kid in the department store throwing a fit on the floor because uh, mommy or daddy won't give them what they want. Uh, no, prayer is, as one old theologian said, prayer is agreeing with God. And the more I pray, the more I agree with him. It's saying, God, we've got a problem here. Uh, can you help me out here? And God then aligns ourselves with his will because if God does everything perfect. Why would I want my way over his way? Right. So prayer is helping uh, our tainted view of life and situations to align ourselves with what God is saying and what God is doing. And when I'm, uh, I'm in situations where I say, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. And then the more I pray, I start to say, well, you do have a plan in this. I didn't see it at first, but boy, it's really good. It worked out great doing it your way. And so I think that's a little more balanced, getting to know God through the word of prayer. And then thirdly, from other Christians. Yeah. We do learn from other people. That's why it's incredibly important for us to be examples to the people around us, our family, our spouses, our children, grandchildren. You're young, but I have grandchildren, and I want to be an example to them. This is how a Christian eats dinner. This is how a Christian dresses. They were how a Christian goes to the park. Uh, how do we process life through a Christian dynamic? And I think that's where I have learned Christianity by hanging around with some wonderful, uh, godly men and women who have been uh, sometimes moms and dads to me, sometimes brothers and sisters, and sometimes, like yourself, been like one of my sons. And so uh, I think it's a good thing. We learn from one another. None yeah. of us have it perfected, but we are learning how to process our faith in everyday life. Uh, speaking of learning from one another, um, that was, bleeds into another question I had um, that was written down. What do you think causes the divide between the young generation and the older generations from having relationships, mentorships, or just, he or just healthy friendships? Um, this is also happening with parents and children as well. Do you think that what happens is both groups kind of disregard what the other one has to offer? Well, it's a, another deep subject. Uh, I think it has probably happened throughout the generations from the beginning of time. Uh, yeah. uh, young people uh, see life through different windows. Mm -hmm. When you get older, you look with older eyes. And I often say to young people, I I'm not smarter than you, but I've lived more years. Right. And so I have experiences that you have yet to have. And so I can tell you about being 20 or 30 or 35, because I've been there. You have not been where I'm at. So where you are, I have been. Where I am, you have yet to come. And it's hard for a young person to say, wait a minute, I've been to college, I'm educated, I'm smart, I'm intuitive, I got Google, I know everything there is to know. And you have to understand that there are issues of life that can't be taught except through experience. You can't learn to swim at correspondence school. Yeah. There comes a day when you have to get in the water and paddle around and swallow some water and gulp and have your head go under the waves and then finally you come up and you learn swimming. So uh, that's a lot of life. I remember when I was 16, I knew everything there was to know. The sum total of man's knowledge was in my little head. When I got to be 26, I realized maybe there's a few things I needed to learn. And then at 36, maybe a little more, 46, 56, at 66, I started to realize, maybe I don't know anything. Maybe I'm still in the process of learning. So I love hanging around with young people. You make me feel young. 
when I try to keep up with you, you make me feel old. So I can't keep up with you, but I love your your creativity, your insights, because I'm always in learning mode. Right. I do not think I know everything. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced maybe I don't know a lot of things I thought I knew. So I'm in learning mode. Young people come across with the attitude, I know everything, and what's, what's wrong with you people? Why don't you get it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the disconnect comes. Second, there's been a breakdown of the family. Yeah, uh, There was a day in our culture when there was absolute respect and honor for the older people. Uh, the fifth commandment does not have a shelf life to it. Honor your father and mother doesn't say honor them until you're 21 and then you don't have to honor them. And if you go to ancient cultures, like I've been to India many times, Africa, there is this absolute reverence for the elderly. Mm -hmm. They honor them. They respect them. They listen to them. Uh, today, if I have a conversation with some young people, the words are hardly out of my mouth before they give me pushback. I say, wait a minute. I don't expect you to believe me. I don't expect to even like what I said. I would ask you, please, as a favor, don't say anything back for at least one minute and think about what I said because it didn't fall out of the ether. It came through blood, sweat, and tears, and some scars along the way that al allowed me to arrive at this assumption. And I say assumption. Yeah. And so this way, mm, let me think on that. This didn't come from a ninny. It came from someone who loves me, cares about me, does not have an agenda, yeah. and is trying to share with me experiences so that I don't have to be in pain through them. Listening's, listening's hard for us because it, we, we um, sometimes we feel as a generation we're not being listened to. Um, yes, and, yes. You know, there's a little bit of both. And it, uh, probably you guys more often than us feel like you're not being listened to. Uh, it's a both and. Yeah. and uh, but I just want to say I love listening to young people. Okay. I, I just hope that um, we, like I said, uh, that you will process mm -hmm. something before you immediately give me pushback. Just say, well, let me think about that. You know, so uh, that may bring us to... Um, our break here, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, we will be right back. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, and we are back. Okay. So we were talking about the difference between uh, young people and old people and the divides and maybe what we can do to bridge that gap. Um, I, I think a lot of that, uh, unfortunately, is being learned in schools. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but um, you know, I don't know if you've seen it recently. Uh, a, a parent going to a teacher conference is considered a terrorist by the FBI. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's just um, the socialists have done their good homework and taking over our school systems. And I think that is another 
aspect of the bridge of the generation gap. Uh, there was a time when um, the children were reinforced in school about the principles that their parents had. Today, the schools are contrary. Tell you don't have to listen to mom and dad. And as you know, some cases have uh, taken place where schools have said, "Don't tell your parents about this." Yeah. Well, that is in my generation that is completely foreign. And so, uh, the school was a support. The police department was a support to the family. Today, everything about entertainment was. I remember movies, TV programs. I grew up, you know, I was born in the 40s, I grew up in the 50s, uh, Father Knows Best. Leave Can it you to imagine Beaver. That? Leave it to Beaver, yeah. Ozzie and Harriet. We went yeah. from Ozzie and Harriet to Ozzie Osbourne, and, <laughs> and, we, and we've lost all semblance of propriety. When you destroy the history of a nation, you also destroy the future. I know a lot of uh, men, and myself included, wish that dating was more like Leave it to Beaver. Men were more respected. They were, they were yes, considered, yes. Know, women were more willing to settle down, which also leads me into something else that somebody asked. You know, recently pastors, uh, a couple of years back and a few years back, were saying, see, look, uh, divorce rates are actually plummeting until we realized that it wasn't per capita and it was actually the marriage rate that was plummeting, yes. um, which concerned a lot of uh, my friends. But now we're in a place where uh, not a lot of young people are getting married and a lot of young people don't even want to get married. And what do you think in society is contributing to that? Well, the culture is becoming yeah. amoral. Uh, we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the principles. Uh, I have a saying that I use that we don't break God's laws, but they break us. We say, we don't need your laws. We don't need marriage. What's just a piece of paper? Well, it's much more than a piece of paper. It was mm -hmm. a cultural norm. And so in my generation growing up, a divorce was obviously around, but it was not very prominent. Mm -hmm. And there was a stigma that went along with divorce, that it was, it was a sign that somewhere along the line we failed in working on relationships. Obviously, they loved each other at one time. Now the question is, why not now? Right. And because there's many distractions, the culture said, hey, everyone's cheating, everyone's sleeping around, do what you want to do. And it's not quite the case. And we don't understand that... God gave us morals to protect us and to protect the family. Everything about culture is expanding to the next generation. Well, young people don't want to get married, and uh, someone asked the question of a young couple who were living together for years and uh, said, well, if you don't have children and don't get married, who's going to bury you? Yeah. And so that's a serious question. You don't think about it when you're young. Uh, and if you don't have people in your life that are totally committed to you, who are loyal, uh, then what is going to be your life when you get old? Who's going to take care of you? And we don't think about that when we're young. No. Yeah, and um, a lot of my friends, uh, what they say is that uh, they, they appreciate the, the wisdom of the older generation, but when it comes to dating, um, they feel like, the, the world has changed so much. Social media has affected the yeah. way dating happens. You can have a pretty girl. She books out a picture of her in a sundress. And you've got 35 different men from Dubai uh, like um, offering to fly her out. And it's a very weird thing that dating has well, done. Well, can I go down that road? Do we have time to go down that you road? You can go down any road you want. Well, until uh, 
probably the 1920s, dating was unheard of. Mm-hmm. There was no dating. Um, when a young man or young woman got to be the age where they could put, be potential spouses, uh, the culture, the family would have a coming out party. Uh, debutantes, uh, uh, if you're a Latino community, the Quinciera, when he turned 15, they're saying, okay, she's, she's on the auction block now, but there's rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to countries in the Far East, uh, you are interested in this young lady, your family has to show up and talk to my dad, to two dads talk, and then they compare resumes and they look at you over pretty good and the whole family's involved in the process because parents know things that young people don't know. All they're doing is running on hormones. Yeah. She's beautiful. He's handsome. Uh, there's a little more to life and marriage than that. And plus, yeah. young people don't know what they're shopping for. Yeah, that's that's a lot of it's it's like that uh, Ryan Gosling movie where he's like, "What do you want?" and she she can't give him an answer. She doesn't know what she wants. They don't know, <laughs> and so it, it it gets messy. So parents were there as a protection and a filter to hormones, hmm. and then once the families were there, so that young couple gets married, they go through the courtship process, which are always chaperoned, so they're not alone together. Nothing's going on. And so now they get uh, to the point of marriage. And now if the wife is not be- being a good wife, the husband just talks to her father and says, Dad, your daughter is doing this, this, and this. And Dad comes over and Mom comes over and a couple of sisters and they pull her hair and say, now listen, get in line. And if the man is not doing things right, she just calls up his dad. Yeah. And his brothers all show up and say, listen. Don't be a knucklehead. You're going to be good to this woman. You're going to treat her nice. Right. And so there was this undergirding of the marriage with responsible people who were respected and loving. Mm-hmm. And they had a vested interest in, in the marriage becoming fruitful and having children. Because when you get old and you have resources, what do you want to do? Who are you going to pass them on to? Right. You want to pass them on to someone that's not going to squander them. I worked my whole life and I saved X dollars and I want to leave it to someone who's going to make something of it, not just burn it up in one year. That's that's another thing that my generation doesn't do that they really should is invest. I really wish they would. Yeah. They 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 understand the idea of investing. They invest to go to college. Yeah. Yeah, they they're willing to take on hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but they they don't know how to buy stocks or yeah. like school hasn't taught them that. And they're going to be enslaved financially. Yeah. And see, the older people had a vested interest because long before we had social security and Medicare, who took care of old people? Your kids. That was your, your kids social did. security. My grandparents lived with me my whole life until I got married. Yeah. And and we loved, I loved coming home to grandma and grandpa and her homemade soup. And uh, it was a good thing. Yeah. And so um, I think we're missing a great dynamic of life to think that I can just have a relationship without marriage and we call it love it's not love it's lust and so let's be honest and so uh, understanding that you need to look way down the road uh, where is this relationship taking me when a girl's looking for a young guy is she looking for a handsome guy with a six-pack or is she looking for a guy that treats his mother nice is a hard worker and responsible and when the guy says, am I just looking for a girl with pretty legs or am I looking for a woman that is a hard worker who loves children, who's a homebody, who, yeah. you know, we just live this party life and it's a dead end street and that's what they don't know yet. But Well, a lot of them believe that they can have a party phase and then settle down later and that's really, it's what feminism has taught them. Yeah. And I, 
it's really hard because when when you don't have a good family dynamic, you've got divorced parents. Um, like divorce is considered empowerment at this point for for women especially, mm-hmm. but then you don't have that support system you're talking about of, of to push the other guy in line or sometimes. When you when they try to do that, they become a little bit too involved, and then that's a whole other uh, issue. Right, yeah. right. There's a there's a nine minute video. Uh, it's from the University of Austin, Texas, called "The Economics of Sex." Nine minutes. Wow. And it's just drawings. There's nothing uh, uh, unsavory in it, but yeah. it kind of explains the dynamic. In the old days, women did not have relationships with men because there was pregnancy, mm-hmm. and we we don't want to have a baby out of wedlock because that creates pro- problems. And yeah. Uh, raising a child by a woman out of wedlock is devastating to her and the child. Yeah. Probably one of the major indicators in delinquency and everything else. However, uh, that's what kept men and women. Women would say, no, men had the gas pedal, women had the brake pedal. Mm-hmm. Stop. Okay. And then um, men recognize if I have someone I care about and I want relations, then there's a price to pay. It's called marriage. Mm-hmm. But once the pill came along and we could have illicit sex without any repercussions, no yeah. unwanted children, well, then this was wide open. And women were told, this is liberation. How are women doing so far? Now we don't even have women's sports because men are coming in there. and There's no difference between men and women. And God knows that's ridiculous. Yeah. And so now women are being, are being punished mm-hmm. in sports. And that's only one of the many ways they're being dominated and this was a thing they were going to get away from. So feminism is all one big lie and a hoax. Yeah, I, I really wish we could go more into that because, like, they, they push the pill for everything, Pastor. They push it for uh, acne. They push it for um, hormones, uh, metabolism. And I, I swear, like, and we've already seen that there's kind of a medical deep state that just kind of pushes drugs in order to make a profit. And we've seen that firsthand over the past two years. But... And we've, we've done whole episodes on that, but there's even things uh, worse than that. Uh, I was reading a book called Estrogeneration, and basically they said that when the pill goes in through the, when female hormones through the pill go through the plumbing system, there's no way to filter that out. So unless you're using reverse osmosis and you're drinking directly from the tech, it's affecting the testosterone rates of our young people. Oh, and, and <laughs> we're feminizing men and masculinizing women, and this is wrecking a culture. You cannot survive uh, where's the reproduction? Yeah. And, and so uh, until we have a family, you don't want to have babies out of the family because they they are basically prone for all kinds of social diseases. Yeah. But learning that God's ways are best. We don't break his laws, they break us, and it's breaking our culture. America's on the verge of destruction. And uh, one of the things... One of the last things I'll talk about on dating was um, what advice would you give to a single Christian young man or woman in 2022? Uh, Would it be different than somebody who isn't a Christian? And if there's somebody listening to this program who isn't a Christian, do you have any romantic advice for them too? Absolutely. I think um, uh, we've been married 53 years, got uh, two sons and three grandchildren. And I was a youth pastor and, of course, been here 30 years. So I've got a lot of deep family relationships. Most of the young people your age, I've known since they were born. Yeah. And so I have a, a wonderful uh, relationship and friendship with them. They're all like my kids and my grandkids. But the idea that um, uh, dating and romance has been hyped up 
to be the end all beat all mm-hmm. and this I, I met someone and I fell in love and then mm-hmm. well they fell out of love well uh, it, it's always best I've told many young girls who didn't have fathers maybe they were products of divorce and so didn't have fathers I said standing rule if you meet a guy just say you want to go out with me you have to have lunch with my pastor and I'll pay for the lunch I'll take him out and so at, I said I'll tell you more in one hour lunch than you'll get you know, being talking on the phone. I know what to ask. I know what to look for. I can tell you if this guy is going to be a good guy. And I've done the same for young men. My wife and I will take out the young lady and ask her some questions over lunch and uh, evaluate her. And you got to make wise decisions. If you were going to buy a car and your dad is a mechanic, wouldn't it be a good idea to say, Dad, why don't you come along and let's look at this used car? Yeah. Because dad could add some insights and know what to look for under the hood. See, that's the thing, too. A lot of guys will spend more time um, picking and doing research on a car than they will taking out a lady, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, like you said, you, you put a pretty face on, on one of those uh, websites, and they only have 40, 50 guys lined up. They don't want to go out with her. Yeah. You, you know what they yeah, want to do. Yeah, I know what they want. Yeah. So, so <laughs> let's not be deceived. Yeah. And she's thinking, wow, all these guys are after me. Honey, these guys want to abuse you and right. lose you. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm passionate about young people, and I, I don't want to see them ruin their lives, and I'm watching it happen. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But, you know, I, by the way, guys, like I, I've seen – this guy's known me since I was 14, okay? He, he knows more about dating than all my friends. I, I got to tell you, he's, he's pretty good on that. Um, so there was, there was one thing that I wanted to get back to. I'm talking about uh, the, the country. You're a patriot. I'm a patriot, too. And we're really in a situation where people have become increasingly pessimistic of not only the future of the country, yeah. but the path that we're headed down. And also, whether or not America still upholds its constitution, its freedoms, its ideals. And uh, what would you say to people who, during these draconian lockdowns and mandates and government trespasses, they lost their jobs, mass firings, um, like disrespect of their religious beliefs, like... Uh, what would you say to the people who have lost faith in the country, in the systems in our country? Well, let me just say, first of all, it's easy to do. We have a lot of pieces in motion about our country. I want to believe that the majority of Americans are patriots. Uh, we just have different views. It's kind of like saying, hey, you and I, we want to go to California mm-hmm. on a vacation. Right. And you say, hey, let's take the bus. We'll, we'll get to see all the different countryside. And I say, hey, I don't have that much time. Let's take a plane. Maybe a third person who's coming with us says, hey, let's take the train. Uh, or another one says, hey, let's car it. You know, well, We have the same destination. We just have many different roads to get there. And becoming a patriot means we want to go back to the founding documents. And I find that most people are really ignorant of what the founding documents said and what the founding fathers meant, what they wrote them. So they, what did they mean when they said it? So let's just take uh, just some of the founding uh, fathers uh, of our country. A man named Governor Morris, who was a signer of the Constitution, said, this magistrate is not the king. He said, the people are the king. John Jay was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court, said, the people are the sovereigns of this country. Abraham Lincoln said in the Lincoln-Douglas debate, "Um, the people of these United States are rightful masters of both Congress and the courts. See, we talk about, well, this this is going to go to the Supreme Court. No, there's a court above that. It's called the Court of Public Opinion. Yeah. 
and that matters more. We've and that seen actually that trumps everything. Uh, so the idea that sovereignty resides in the people and they have not parted with it. This is uh, James Wilson, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, we have to understand we have a document next to the Bible is one of the most dynamic documents in all of human history. Yeah. We have the only republic that has lasted for almost 250 years. Yeah. And it's lasted because we had something that was unchangeable depending upon cultural changes, whatever, we have stayed pretty solid because we stuck to the Constitution. And they made it amendable, mm -hmm. and yet they made it so difficult to amend that it couldn't be done capriciously or whimsically. It had some standards to it. If you don't have standards, you don't have anything. Right. If we show up at a construction site and we're all different tradesmen and we all have different tape measures, we're not going to build anything. Yeah, you're going with the metric, to, I'm going with the We have to have the same second. tape measure. And so uh, people want to be patriots. I believe many want to have a good country, a safe country, a, a prosperous country. But we have difference of views of how we're going to arrive at that destination. Mm -hmm. And I think you always go back to the basic documents, the Constitution. We the people, if you've seen that document... It's in big letters. We the people is like three times the size of the docu of the other letters. Why was that? Right. Because they wanted to make it very, very clear we are the government, not the people in Washington or Springfield or anywhere else. And they are merely hired hands who implement the day-to-day -day routine uh, that goes on in government but they operate under our purview. The problem is they have entertained us to death. We're so busy. We know movies. We know songs. We can mouth all the words. We, we know all the dialogue. And uh, my grandchildren can quote Star Wars uh, better than the actors. And so can I. Yeah. But they, <laughs> but they don't know the documents. Yeah. And that is with a purpose. Because if mm. you don't know what the documents say, then I can make them say anything I want. And right now the Supreme Court and this woman who being interviewed as a nominee yeah. it is obvious to anyone who can think that this is a partisan pick. Right. And and the, I think the worst, most egregious part of that is that we've broken down definitions so that, oh, a definition can mean something different to you. Um, the, the Second Amendment can mean something different um, according to what I interpreted it as versus, like, no, what was the context of what it was exactly, written as? Exactly, exactly. And if you don't have the original definition and if you can't define anything, then everything breaks down. Well, when we founded our country uh, back in 1776, actually 1789, yeah. when it, it, it came into real being, mm -hmm. uh, it was um, one of the first tasks was Noah Webster, who wrote the dictionary, because he said, yeah. we have to agree what words mean. If we don't agree on what words mean, then they can mean anything. Yeah. And what we've done is we've taken all the standards and we've burned them, and now words can mean anything. Men can mean women, women can be boys, girls, yeah. trans. And, and if you say anything else, society comes and shames you. Wait a minute, we're just going by definitions. So we're, we're rewriting the dictionary every day in politics, and that's what's sad. You know, it's, it's funny because the people of faith used to be called science deniers, but meanwhile the people who are screaming science deniers are saying, men are women, babies aren't people, there's 87 genders, and math is racist. <laughs> yeah, it's such yeah. the insanity of it all. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm not pessimistic I'm realistic. Right. 
Truth is never pessimistic. You're so pessimistic. No, truth never has to apologize. It doesn't care about your feelings. Truth is truth. Right. And we're facing issues where, as you just said, words can mean anything I want them to mean. Right. Well, what can you build with that? Yeah. And so, so what would you say as, as a word of encouragement to the people who are discouraged and depressed? You know, because we're... If we're not in a recession technically already, we probably will be soon. We're watching an inverted yield curve, price shock on commodities like gas and Fed tightening. And that, historically, that always leads to recession. Right, right. Well, you're, you're more aware than most uh, people in general no. and far ahead in your age group. You're pretty savvy of finances. And I'll tell you, every nation, every superpower that has ever fallen always fell uh, by committing suicide. And the way they committed suicide was by a, an unsound sovereign, a dollar that didn't mean a dollar. Mm-hmm. From the Middle Ages to the Persian Empire, Babylon, Rome, Greece, all fell because they lost the sound dollar bill. The, 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 I'm using dollar as, as yeah. the medium. The petrodollar. Yeah, yeah. They, they lost all that. And America, if loses uh, the fact that we are the... Um, uh, currency of the day, mm-hmm. um, then we're in trouble. I, I try to explain inflation to people simply as you're going to work harder to pay more with money that buys you less. And that's a good definition, boy. That's a good one. You should that's, write. I, I need to write that down. That's I would. I, I want to run on that if I ever yeah. become for political office. This is what they want to do to you. Um, but now, uh, speaking of different influences corrupting our, our systems, we have something called the World Economic Forum and. Oh. A lot of, and they want to get us off the petrodollar. And uh, frankly, the way I see it is inflation. We're so propped up on debt in our market, and I'm, I'm a financial nerd, but we're so propped up on debt in our market that when they start to tighten and curb inflation, our markets start to fall. And then when they, when, because we're so propped up by it that inflation causes things to rise. And now they're trying to say that they want to get us off the dollar so that there will be no anonymous transactions whatsoever. Well, then they can tax everything and they can know everything. You will have zero privacy. And I think uh, the idea of losing reserve currency of the dollar will will crush us. And as far as your original question about those who are depressed or mm-hmm. anxious about the things we're living in. Yeah. First of all, it's happened before. Yeah. We're living in cyclical history. It, it runs its cycle. You know, you, you have nothing, you work hard, you save, you establish standards, you have morals, you build family, and then prosperity comes in, you become lazy, the next generation becomes lazy, the next generation becomes lazier, the last generation doesn't care about anything, and before long it falls into anarchy, and then another powerful country takes over, and we start to cycle all over again. Second is, if you didn't believe in God, I would be really depressed. Yeah. (laughs) But I believe in God, I believe God has a plan, and I think Americans' golden days may be over. And so, but I know this, the Church of Jesus Christ has always been resilient. Yeah. You know, when the Roman Empire, the first 300 years of Christianity uh, on the earth, they didn't meet in churches. They didn't have churches. They met in homes and barns and they met met out in fields. They were in hiding. Yeah. And then we came along in 300s and Constantine allowed churches and uh, the Edict of Milan. And all of a sudden, everyone was going to be a Christian because Christians don't overthrow their government. And so, hey, I like that idea. And so he made everybody a Christian at the point of a sword. 
which wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, but he, he basically politicized religion, and that's what we have today. Uh, but the idea of being depressed is, I trust God in all those things. I do what I can do. I can't fix the big world, but I can try to work on my little world. And if everyone, uh, the Chinese proverb, if everyone swept in front of their own house, the world would be clean. So yeah. you be good. I'll try to be good. Let's have some moral code. Let's try to treat people, as Jesus said, you know, uh, love your enemies, love your brothers and sisters. And so if we'll do that, then that just takes care of my world. If everyone did that, we would have a better place. But don't be depressed. So uh, also building off of that, when, when you see people who are maybe like trying to get their lives in order, like they are taking that first step. They're trying to sweep in front of their own house. They're trying to get things in over. Maybe they're battling something like addiction. Maybe they're battling trying to get their finances in order. Maybe they're struggling in their marriage. What, what, what would you tell them? Because you saw situations like this in Teen Challenge. You saw people struggling to get their lives together. What helped those people? What? Well, what helped the people at Teen Challenge, the young men I worked with, was getting them tuned into God. In other words, God's the authority. I'm not the authority. I can't change their life, but God can. And mm -hmm. we had many wonderful stories of young men who were, you know, hooked on mainline drugs and uh, had wrecked their lives, had been in jail, who came out and did ex exceptionally well, and married and had families and raised a godly generation after them. But going back to basics, I just think when everything else is cutting away, go back to basics, go back to God, go back to my prayer life, my devotional life. I just tell all of our church people, coming and listening to my sermons is not gonna save you. Mm -hmm. um, you having a personal devotional life, uh, Sunday morning service, Wednesday service is, is merely uh, whipped cream on this on the Sunday. But you have to come with an anxious heart, a, a, a desiring to learn the best things that you can from the scriptures, and then apply them to your life little by little and hang around with other believers. It's essential because we do learn from each other and we encourage one another. Yeah. Isolation is really bad. And that's why yeah. this, this lockdown was really bad. Look at the suicide rate, look at all the depression. Yeah. And, and America's become a nation of drug addicts. We're on, we're on over-the-counter drugs. Look at TV commercials. They're all about all medications, and every one of people are dancing. Everyone's dancing. I got psoriasis, <laughs> but I'm happy about it. And I got yeah. I got tremphia, and was, oh my goodness. Um, but don't worry, because they have drugs for those they things too. They have drugs for everything. <laughs> so you got a problem, just pop a pill. Yeah, and that's not a good scenario. Facing your dragons, dealing with problems. And seeking advice from others around you yeah. who are older, who have experienced what you have experienced and, yeah. and gotten through it. Hey, maybe they know a few things. And someone who will walk with you uh, through those dark valleys. And, of course, it's Jesus, but then yeah. second, it's God's people. Yeah, community. Yeah, It's community. something we've lost. Yeah, and people are looking for family. They're looking yeah. for family. Yeah, and then... Um, going, going back a little bit into the political realm, um, you know, this, this is a political talk show, but um, uh, I was curious. There, there's one phrase that I often hear in, in the Christian community that irks me a little bit, and is, it's that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. And it makes me scratch my head because I feel like Christian, Christians are the only religion that really says this. There's no Buddhist shouldn't be involved in politics, no Hindus. Like, That's they, right. That's and right. they don't downplay their own influence. 
Uh, do you think they're trying to say something different? Do you think they're there's a good message behind that? Um, what problems do you have with that? Like, elaborate on that because I hear it everywhere. Oh yeah, well of course it's 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 the credo of the socialists who don't want Christians in, in <laughs> government because he would change things. Um, Wayne Grudem uh, is a professor for many years, and um, he, he has some basic premises. First, he, he said, number one, government should not compel religion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Government should not force you to be a Christian, as was done uh, during uh, you know, the period after Constantine. He made everyone be a Christian. He built yeah. churches, and then he organized the churches. He set up a, a hierarchy of bishops, archbishops, cardinals, popes. He put them in power so they could control them. It was the blending of government and religion. So government should never compel religious faith. Mm -hmm. Second, it should never deny religious faith. Everyone in America, this was a Christian nation. We've tried to say, no, we're not a Christian nation. We're open to all religions. No, we're a Christian nation that is open to all religions. Supreme Court, 1899, uh, Trinity versus the United States government, uh, basically said, uh, the Supreme Court Justice said that America is a Christian country. Mm -hmm. All around the world, everybody knew if you're from America, you're a Christian. Yeah. Then over the years, we've lost what even a Christian means. Thirdly, government is demonic, and Christians should stay away from it. Where did we? Where is that in the Bible? It doesn't say anything like that anywhere. We didn't learn that in the founding. <laughs> right, right. And number four is Christians should do evangelism, not politics. And that's just a cop-out completely of my responsibility. Yeah. I, I just evangelize. So if I'm standing in a bus corner and there's a young woman there standing waiting for the bus with me and two guys pull up in a car and try to drag on a car and say, you know, I don't do fighting. I don't, I don't get involved in this. <laughs> Some just, Christians I'm will preach doing, that. Hey, if you guys <laughs> like to know Jesus, it's ridiculous. There, there is a... There is a a practice that where Christianity invades culture yeah. and influences it. There was mm -hmm. a, a well-known book um, that I read some years ago called Under the Influence, written by a man, man named Alvin Smith. And he showed throughout history how the influence of Christianity changed the culture. Yeah. Not by enacting Christian laws, but by its influence of the life of the people. They put a stop to abortion. They save babies. They used to throw babies in, in, in the river, in the Tiber yeah. uh, River. And it was so clogged with dead bodies floating in there, little babies. And so Christians put a stop to it. They opened up orphanages. They opened up hospitals. They trained people with education. They opened schools. All the schools were, were Christian schools. Yeah. And so everything about culture was influenced by Christians. Yeah. And so to think that we are divorced from that or we just do evangelism, yeah, maybe if we did a better job, maybe the country wouldn't be such a mess, but mm -hmm. to divorce ourselves from that is ridiculous. And then sixthly, significance in government is because we have a Christian influence. Our founding fathers were unmistakably Christian. I know there's some, well, there were deists. Okay, but Ben so, Franklin, though. Yeah, 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 well, Ben Franklin was probably the least religious, but he said in one of his speeches, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God taking notice, do we think we can build a, a nation without his providence? Right. So uh, he was the least religious. And, and, and let's just look at, at the scriptures. First of all, we find the book of Exodus. Right. The story of the midwives. They were told by the Pharaoh, he is the, he's not just like the president that gets elected every four years. No, he is the king. Yeah. He's the Pharaoh. And he said, if you see uh, a, a, one of the Jewish women having a baby, I want you to 
Kill it if it's a male child. Throw it in the river. Let the, let the crocodiles get it. And the midwives did not do that. They disobeyed the Pharaoh's orders, which was death to them. And when they said, why didn't you kill them? They said, well, you know, these Jewish women, are, they're, pretty, they're pretty lively. They work out at the health club. And, and as soon as they have the baby, they run away. I can't get to them. Right. And God blessed the midwives yeah. for disobeying the government. Yeah. Okay? What, what about that phrase you often hear from people trying to quote the Bible about submitting to government? This is a question I specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. want to answer to you because yeah. um, I, I discussed this so much where I, I, I believe submit does, is not the same commandment as obey. No, it, it, it's, it's hupotasso in the Greek, but um, the idea means to get in line or cooperate with. It's like it's a military term. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, that's why in the military they have all these different stripes on your arm you got a sergeant a lieutenant a captain and you immediately know when i meet you i know what rank you have and i know the reverence that i have to pay you yeah and so it means show reverence for government if you go to romans 13 uh, it says that we are to obey government or submit to government uh, in the case of getting in line with government because they are agents of good now if they cease to be an agent of good Mm -hmm. And now it takes us into Nazi Germany and many other places. Uh, Hitler said, I want you to kill, you're, you're a soldier, I want you to kill these Jewish people. I want you to put them in gas chambers and I want you to incinerate their bodies. And you go, okay, I'm just obeying orders. And that was their cop-out. Mm -hmm. And when they had the Nuremberg trials, they said, no, no, there's, there's a law of nature that trumps all the other laws when a government orders people to do evil to commit murder they have to quit doing it even if it means their own life and as i said earlier if anyone can get us to believe absurdities it won't be long that they will cause us to commit atrocities and that's what happened atrocities because well just obeying orders no you have a sacred honor to obey a higher authority now were there people who were believers involved in government? Well, let's go to Genesis 41. We have this, this character named Joseph. Yeah. And Joseph was a Jew. And Joseph uh, ended up in prison. And no matter what he did, he tried to do good. And, and lies and corruption hand, handed him over to the jail. But he prospered in jail. And then God exalted him to be second in command over all of Egypt. Yeah. He was a government official. And he was a believer and saved his people because of it you go to the story of daniel and uh uh you know the, the, the three uh hebrew children you know how they defied uh, daniel chapter 2 they defied nebuchadnezzar said everybody bow down to me and he said nah, no we're not doing it and yeah. they said well we're going to heat the oven seven times hotter and they said king uh, we're not careful how to answer you God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, but if not, we still we're still won't. not going to obey. Yeah. We will not bow to a false god. We will not bow to a false god. And so were they involved in politics? Were they involved in culture? Yeah. You better believe they were. They had standards. And when they throw them in the, in the oven, the men who threw them in got burned up and died. <laughs> but they were untouched. Yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar jumps off his throne and says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three in there? And he said, yeah, but there's a fourth one that looks like the Son of God. Right. 
And then we go to Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. He would have been basically the vice president of the Persian Empire under yeah. um, uh, Artaxerxes. And so he was definitely political. He definitely went back and rebuilt Jerusalem and rebuilt the walls and established justice. Yeah. And then we go to the story of Esther. She's a woman. Women weren't big in authorities. But she took a stand for God, even at the risk of her life, and she saved her people. And then her uncle Mordecai, he became second in command over all of Persia. So he was a political office holder. And if you go through the scriptures, even uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, when he stood before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, he also gave a bold witness for Christ. Yeah. And he said, I appeal to Caesar. He said, I want to go through the political system. Yeah. So I don't know where we get this idea that Christians should not be involved in politics. Should you, Christian be allowed, uh, involved in medicine? <laughs> Should Christian be involved in entertainment? Should they be singers? Or, no, we don't want to have anything to do with music because music is evil, so we're not going to be involved in music. And, and you know, Hollywood movies are evil, so let's not be involved in, in, in Hollywood. Well, look at the Christian movies coming out, some terrific ones, that yeah. really powerful messages. So this idea is foreign to the scriptures and I think foreign to Christianity. Uh, it was the preachers who railed against the injustice of King George when we had the American uh, War of Independence. Yeah. And King George says, I fear the black-robed regiment, which was the pastors speaking yeah. out from their pulpits every Sunday that probably ignited the revolution. So, And it also ignited the Civil War with the injustice of slavery. Exactly. It was, it was the Christians... Yeah from the North who definitely spoke out. They were abolitionists. They spoke out against slavery. And through them, they put an end to it, as did William Wilberforce in yeah. 1833 in England. And that so, one happened without a war, which and, was even more miraculous. Yes, it took 20 years, yeah. but it did. And so um, we have people who were white who fought a war to end slavery. So the yeah. idea that white people are automatically racist and should pay reparations is absurd. <laughs> And, and, and I, I got in this discussion with a, with a black pastor, and he said, well, you know, what about the lynchings? I said, yeah, they were horrible. I mean, beyond description, right out of, uh, you know, World War II and, and the Holocaust. Yeah. I said, but they were actually recorded, I think, 318 lynchings, and they were all done by white people who yeah. were liberal Democrats from the yeah. South. There was no lynching that ever took place in the North ever done by Republican conservatives. Yeah. And when the KKK came out and they were beginning to terrorize black families and that they were part of the lynching, it was mm -hmm. Southern white Democrats who were using that to, to basically keep the blacks in check. But in... Uh, 1876, there was yeah. an election between uh, a man named John Tilden, who was a Democrat and Republican, Rutherford B. Hayes, yes, uh, who was, by the way, an evangelist before he got elected president. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so he, uh, there was a, a one state that would have flipped the election either way. It went on for weeks deciding who was going to be president. Finally, the Democrats said, "Tell you, we'll we'll give in, but take all the troops out of the southern states." Wow. After Civil War, there were. Troops yeah. left there to keep any, you know, restarting of the fire. Mm -hmm. And so they took him out. During that time, blacks were elected to office. But as soon as 1876 was done, all the Union troops were pulled out. Now all the blacks were voted out immediately. Yeah. So the American generals didn't like that. The northern 
generals didn't like that. So they started the National Rifle Association. The National Rifle Association armed people and they trained blacks in the South how to use guns and they defended themselves against the KKK. So it was Northern generals who were white and conservative who protected the blacks and showed them how to protect themselves. Yeah, it's an amazing story. You know, the more you go into history, the more you're, you're shocked by things that... Um, are kind of revisionist, but if you actually do a deep dive, deep dive, you can find things out. Like um, I figured out that the first uh, slave owner in the United States was actually a black man, believe yes. it or not. And then also uh, Ulysses S. Grant got such a hard time for his presidency, and then you realize, oh, he was actually distracted because he was trying to fight the KKK. You, you learn about things like FDR. They said that there was no way that he could have known the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Turns out there was a general who was trying to warn him for two years, and he got fired. <laughs> so, oh, there's there's all kinds of history, um, dirty dealings from the Kennedy assassination and following. Yeah, uh, that makes us wonder. But uh, I mean, Jesus stood against the religious authorities of the yeah. day. The the high priest. How do you go any higher than that? He's the high yeah. priest in Jerusalem, and Jesus resisted them and took exception with them. So. Uh, we have an obligation to be ones who establish righteousness in the land, mm-hmm. not to be cowering and say, well, we can't be political. That is foreign to the scriptures and foreign to Christianity, except for this last generation. Yeah. How do we set an example where we can walk in Christ and also be involved in the realm around us? And um, I, I wanted to ask you, and you don't have to go into this if you don't want to, but I know you had a little bit of a struggle yourself with the government here in Illinois. Um, yes, when the government said we have to close our church, um, uh, three other pastors and myself, we um, got a, a lawyer and we uh, went to court against yeah. the governor. And uh, when the day of the trial came up, there were 35 other lawsuits against the governor, and he just said, okay, you can, you can meet. Yeah. And so um, we didn't have to actually go to court. We had to be prepared to go to court. Yeah. And we opened up our church, and we've been open ever since. Now, people can come or not come. They can watch online. They, if they come here, we have an extra room. They can meet upstairs. Yeah, so we're, we're open to everything. So yeah. we're open to all options, and we want to honor and respect whatever your preference is. But I don't believe it's right for the government to shut a church down. Yeah, even under to, communism, that didn't happen. Yeah. You could still go to a church. Yeah, right. So there's, there's all kinds of issues there that... Um, are raised when the government tries to interfere with religion. I think we have every right to um, to resist legally yeah. yes. and morally. And morally. So, yeah. Well, there's all kinds of quotes from uh, presidents and leaders in our country establishing that we the people are the government. Yes. And then uh, I did want to close with one thing. You've been a fantastic guest, by the way. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. What is the number one most valuable piece of biblical advice that you think you could give somebody? Well, um, first of all, we believe there's a life after this life. Yeah. Now, this life is temporary. Mm -hmm. If a man lives three score and 10, 70 years, I'm over 70, so I'm definitely on the plus side. God's blessed me. Uh, Having lived 27 years before I gave my life to Christ, uh, I know what it is to live in the world. I lived in the world, and I, was, I, I wasn't a criminal, but I was a, I was a mischief little guy. And, um, but I can tell you, I wouldn't trade all my Christian life for another moment in the, in the B.C. life. It was 
an empty life. There's, there's, if having money and power uh, and fame is where it's at, why are Hollywood movie stars so miserable? Why are they getting divorced every other week? Uh, they yeah. change spouse like they change their shoes. Uh, why is that the answer? I know people that live in jungles as missionaries who are happy, just exhilarating, exciting lives, having nothing. And yeah. they live their life to give. So we were lived to give. The name of God is Yahweh. That's the Hebrew word. It comes from the Hebrew verb to be. In other words, God, God bees. He is. Yeah. And I am that I am. And the idea that God and everything about him lives to expand. The universe that he created a millennia ago is expanding at the speed of light. So everything God does is expanding. He meant the family. Adam and Eve, first command, be fruitful and multiply. And living your life for others is just so beneficial. You you have every day full of excitement. Not not perfect. You have pain. You have suffering. Mm-hmm. But you feel fulfilled because you accomplish something. Yeah. And I think we, if we're to be like God, we ought to be people that give of ourselves. Everybody knows John 3.16, and I'll close. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life. life. But you know there's another John 3.16 in the Bible. Yeah. It's from the epistle, 1 John 3.16. And it basically says this, as he gave his life for us, so we also ought to give our lives for others. So what do I do in the ministry at 74? I'm living every day, I'm living the dream. My life is excitement. I feel like I'm strapped to the nose cone of a F-15 being launched off a carrier, I have an exciting life at my age, and I'm thankful for every day of health and uh, vitality that I have. But I live to spend time with people and to, to talk to young people, old people, and to be a blessing. And, and it's like a, an everlasting fountain coming out of us. Yeah. That's what God meant for us to live a fulfilled life. So I would tell people, give your life to Christ and don't take it back. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Rich, for coming on. Um, you've definitely been one of the best guests I've ever had. So thank you for coming on. Okay. I appreciate My brother, God bless you, Andres. You're doing a terrific job. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And uh, I know God has got big things for you. I appreciate that. Anyway, guys, thank you for tuning in. And as always, stay connected. Conservative Connection.